Welcome to Business Matters with host Rob Capello, a podcast where we open the conversation on what matters for business. We would like to thank your sponsor, Valley First Credit Union, a member-owned financial cooperative serving the Okanagan, Similkameen, and Thompson. They offer a wide range of banking and investment services for individuals and families. Valley First also has a talented business and commercial team to provide the expertise, products, and services local businesses need to grow and thrive. Good morning, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Business Matters, presented by Valley First, the division of First West, First West Credit Union. Uh, my name is Rob Capello. I'm the VP Business Development and Now Media Group. Uh, before we get started, just going to give a quick shout out to our sponsor. For those of you that are unfamiliar with Valley First, they're a member-owned financial cooperative serving the Okanagan, Similkameen, and Thompson Valleys. They offer a wide range of banking and investment services for individuals and families, and they also have a robust business and commercial team with the expertise, products, and services needed to help local businesses grow and thrive. For more information, please visit valleyfirst.com business. And again, thank you for the team at Valley First for uh, um, sponsoring Business Matters. So today we welcome Scott Chambers back on Business Matters. Scott, I think this is your third time on, so you're becoming a regular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, it, it seems like there's there's always changes when, when it comes to sort of the employer employments or employee sort of relationship so um it's a little bit of a moving target there's always things changing so hopefully we can provide some clarity today we'll see what we can get through so for those that are unfamiliar scott is a partner at doke sheriff llp has back practicing law since 2005 after being called to the bar in ontario uh, scott has focused mostly on employment and human resource resource law and commercial litigation and you moved to Kelowna after being called to the British Columbia Bar in 2017. So, miss anything that you want to add in? Um, yeah, that's about it. Just nobody being from Ontario, I guess. <laughs> Let, let's get started. So, um, I mentioned Scott. There, there's, there's things have changed. So, the last time we, you know, we it's been a couple months since we probably you you were on last. Um, I'm, I'm sure that there's there's a lot of things that have changed. Before we jump into that. Just curious on a high level, how, how are things been for you guys on like a legal, on, sorry, law firm point of view, you guys been busy. What are you guys seeing? We, we've been very busy. I, I, I mean, I can only really speak to the, the employment side of things from my practice, but from an employment perspective, it was very busy when COVID first hit and everyone was getting laid off and, and then curb came out and then the uh, wage subsidies came out. So there was a lot of things like moving targets, as you said, going on all at once sort of thing. And then it sort of stabilized over the summer. Everyone kind of got used to curb and, and that, and then everything's kind of dragged, uh, dragged on through the summer. And now curb's coming to an end. And, and now we're starting to see like an influx of more terminations uh, because layoff periods are kind of ending. Um, I know from the firm perspective, everything we've been quite busy, surprisingly. The housing market, I think, in Okanagan yeah, exploded. Yeah. So the real estate practice have been been booming for at least for the summer. And I know uh, September they had we had record closings. So it's been a busy wow. time. <laughs> Nothing's going to explode down, that's for sure. Yeah. So um, just on a high level, and I'm not sure if this is maybe too broad of a question because we will dig deep into it, but there's, is there, over the last couple of months or even three months, has there been any like major changes to the Employment Standards Act that we should be talking about? Or I mean, I, I know we're going to dig deep into specific topics, but is there anything overarching that you can speak on there? Um, there was a few kind of like knee-jerk reactions when COVID first hit. 
and they were really pertaining to like employment leaves. So people that needed to take a leave of absence either for childcare needs or to look after somebody that was affected by COVID or suspected COVID and had to self-isolate. And so the, they, they did come out with some rapid changes for these protected leaves. So a protected leave essentially allows an employee to take a, an extended time off work where they don't necessarily get paid but their job is there when they come back um, and they're, they're able to apply for CURB and EI benefits uh, if, if they're not being paid. Uh, that was kind of the, the initial kind of reaction to change the Employment Standards Act. And then the government, when they realized that the layoff period was a little too short, it was originally it's 13 weeks out of 20 weeks. Uh, and then they extended it to four months uh, to match the, the CURB benefit entitlement, which was gonna be available for four months. Uh, and then that's kind of slowly eroded now because uh, they were kind of temporary measures. Um, and now there's, there's, there's provisions in the Employment Standard Act where employers can apply for like variances if they need to extend a layoff period. And there's certain qualifiers for those sort of variances. Uh, but that was, the leaves was kind of the big overarching change that they kind of did really quickly. So let's dig deep into some specific questions and I have a whole bunch here, so I'm sure you've heard them all. Yeah. Um, so the, the big one is, can an employer require an employee to wear a mask at work? You know, I, I'll probably give you a lawyer answer because uh, <laughs> there's nothing very really clear one way or another. I would say yes, but, and, and the reason I say that is if there's a legitimate concern uh, and there's an inability of that particular employer to say set up uh, safe social distancing. Uh, you can't have like the six feet or two meters between people or there's people that are required to work in close proximity or in professions where there's a higher risk of exposure or uh, perhaps transmission. Um, if there's a policy in place that has a, a legitimate purpose and, and underlying rationale of why masks are required, then an employer can do it. Um, there's always concerns regarding human rights issues and, and individual personal preferences. Uh, some people refuse to wear masks just out of uh, a general principle, but an employer can set up a, a, a policy that allows them to implement mandatory mask wearing. And it's the same if a customer comes into a private business, if that business has a, a mask policy and you refuse to wear a mask, they can refuse to have you in their store and refuse your service. And that's completely legal. And there's no human rights component or necessary complaint to that. You just have to comply with their privacy, their policy because it's private property. And I was, that was, I was actually going to ask that because I see a lot of signs up on you go into coffee shops that you must wear, must wear a mask. And I'm like, is it just their policy? And if you go in, you know, can they actually say anything? But the answer is yes. Yeah, and, and it goes back to basically because the the employee or sorry the um, the business itself is whether it's a leased premises or an owned premises, it's private property. So if you go to the mall, uh, the mall itself is private property, and the mall security. If you're if it, there's a mask requirement, and you can be asked to leave if you're not wearing it, uh, and same with individual stores. And and some individual stores have that policy, some don't. I know there was a. a, a an, an altercation, shall we say, a few weeks ago with somebody in, in a store in, in Orchard Park, and they, they've made a big scene about it, but they were basically required to wear a mask, and the, and the store refused to provide them service. So if, and we talked about before we logged on here that, so employees are saying, hey, we, we're not feeling well, 
Obviously, everyone has their policy of saying, you know, if you aren't being well, stay at home. But can employers require employees to actually get a COVID test? Um, yes and no. Again, another lawyer answer. Um, I think if you're in a, if it's a, there's a bona fide occupational requirement that you have a, a health or a, a safe work environment. And I would think that certain um, industries, certain employment situations would allow that or be more permissible to have a COVID test be mandatory than, than other professions, uh, particularly if you're working in close proximity with people like doctors, uh, dentists, chiropractors, that sort of thing, where, where there's that close contact is inherent in the, in the relationship. Um, I can see the justification for permitting a, a COVID test more, more likely than not. If it's, if it's just a standard office environment and you can create social distancing, then probably less likely that it would be permissible. What about when, when and if there's a vaccine? Can employees require um, employers or require employees to get the vaccine or is it the same as, as you just said? It's kind of the same, and it, it comes down to uh, human rights, basically. And certain, uh, an employer can't discriminate against a person, uh, whether it's for religious grounds or, or, or any other enumerated ground. And so if somebody has a, uh, say, a religious, for example, a religious basis where they refuse to get a vaccine or can't get a vaccine, or maybe they have a health concern that prevents them from getting a vaccine, um, then the the onus shifts to the employer to to establish that it is a, a bona fide occupational requirement and that basically the safety of the group of employees is more paramount than the individual rights and, and vice versa. So it, again, if there is, again, like the, the environments with hospitals, a lot of hospitals have requirements that nurses and doctors have updated vaccines. So that's perfectly acceptable under employment law or under the human rights code. Uh, but if it's, again, like if it's an office building, right. perhaps not. Right. Okay. Um, you mentioned a little bit about around sort of um, layoffs and so forth, but what if an employee refuses to return to work and they work from home permanently? You know, that's a, it's a funny thing. I, I, I was saying before we started that I, I was ramping up to return to the office and then my family started falling ill. So I, I, I it basically prevented me from going into the office for fear that I might expose people. Yeah. Um, I think there, there is certainly a big shift and there's a lot of articles coming out at the moment uh, regarding uh, the employee's desire to stay at home, even if it's a part-time basis or maybe two or three days a week. Uh, and then sharing offices when you do go back to work. Uh, but there is certainly a shift. Now, whether or not the employer is agreeable to it or not, that comes down to uh, a dynamic between the employer and the employee. If the employee is able to do their job perfectly well at home remotely, then uh, if, if there's, as long as there's no justified reason for the employee to come back, then it, it's permissible as long as it's agreeable to all the parties. But if the employee can't do the work at home and just wants to be at home for whatever reason, then it, it, it makes sense that they would have to return to the office. So, but there certainly is a shift. A lot of office jobs where you can do everything remotely, you can log into your work computer, those there seems to be a big shift that people are going to be wanting to stay home, at least on a part-time basis. For, so what does that look like? And I, and I assume it has to be on a case-by-case -case basis, but, and, and, and there's, a, you know, there's a contract between an employer and employee now. Like, does that change, can it change compensation structure for employees that are working from home permanently? And, and I always thought, it, and maybe it's a silly question, but I'm like, I don't know, do they have to follow the same for 
coffee breaks, lunch breaks, vacation time? Like, how do you like? Can, how do you police that, for lack of a better word? And how, how does that look like if you're working from home? It, yeah, it's an interesting kind of twist because normally you'd have it say if you have an employment agreement with your employees, it would say where your office is and what your normal office yeah. hours are. And then breaks are usually dictated by the Employment Standards Act. But now you've got an employee working from home. Another concern would be like WorkSafe BC issues. What if they get injured at work, but now they're at home? How does that dynamic change? Um, and what we've actually found over the last couple of months as people who are starting to streamline and work at home rather than the office, we had a lot of employers coming to us and saying, do we need an amended employment agreement or do we need a work at home agreement that covers off all of these things? And, and it works. Yep. We can create those documents uh, and they're legally uh, com with legal compliance. Um, and, and we hive off things like work safe issues. If you're injured while working, uh, it, it's a little more removed because if you're working from home, odds are you're in front of a computer. So you, maybe your injury might be a paper cut or you stub your toe versus if you're in a factory and something drops on you or something of that nature. Uh, but cover off that if you are injured at work, the same reporting requirements come into play that you have to report it so we can make sure that if there is a work safe claim that you make a work safe claim that right. the Employment Standards Act still applies. So don't work overtime unless you need to or you're authorized to and things of that nature. Interesting. So what if, um, uh, can we just talk about layoffs for a little bit and, and, and what happens if the layoff needs to be extended beyond sort of the maximum? So currently um, the maximum is 13, well in BC I should say, the maximum is 13 weeks in a 20 week period. So um, it's a little over 12 weeks. And that was extended over the summer because they found that COVID was um, uh, going to be dragging on and people were going to stay on permanent layoff or temporary layoffs for an extended period. So they extended it to 16 weeks and that matched up with the curb benefits. Uh, so there was four months of curb and now you have four months uh, of layoffs. There is a provision in the Employment Standards Act and it was always there that you can apply as an employer for a, a variance. So now that uh, we're back to the 13 weeks out of 20, if the employer needs to continue the layoff for, for an indefinite period, as long as 51% of the employees agree, uh, however that ratio works, if you have 200 employees, you need 101 or whatever the math is. Uh, and if they agree to extend the layoff period, you apply to employment standards branch for a variance. And it's designed to allow employers that flexibility where they can't quite work within the Employment Standards Act, but they don't want to go offside. Yeah. The employees don't want them to go offside. They want to secure their jobs. And the government then, or the Employment Standards Branch, will allow them to create that variance and that extend the layoff period. So is there any protection for, I don't know if that's the right word, safeguard protection for employers who, who need to terminate employees because of there's a downturn because of COVID? No. Uh, the, the, I guess the safeguards that the government put into place, the, the federal government was the, the, the wage subsidy program and where they would pay up to 70% of uh, the employees' wages mainly to avoid the situation where they'd have to have a layoff. Uh, if the government's paying the bulk of the employees' wages, you can continue working. Um, those programs are going to get extended for, I, I can't remember how, for how long, but they've been extended for, for an indefinite period at the moment. Um, if those programs aren't available or if there's just no work and the employer is faced with the decision, look, I can't extend the layoff anymore. We're probably going to end up closing up or we're going to uh, restructure and reduce our workforce considerably. 
then really there's no safeguards in place. They, they kind of fall into the regular law. So if there's an employment agreement that limits the termination requirement, uh, then you follow the employment agreement or you look at the Employment Standards Act or you look at the common law to determine what an appropriate severance package is for that employee and you terminate their employment, give them the package, and then they're free to go and find alternative work or apply for EI. Okay. So now if we kind of switch focus a little bit for people, because, you know, there's a lot of businesses that return back to their offices or to their work. So is there an obligation from them to the employer to have safety precautions implemented to reduce, you know, potential transmission of COVID-19? Like in our building, in common areas, you got to wear a mask. And then I guess in our space, it's up to us what the, the rules are, for lack of a better word. So... Yeah, and it, it really every employer in BC is going to be governed by what the occupational health and safety regulations uh, dictate, and those are administered through WorkSafe. So, unless you're a specific um, business that has been uh, determined to have to require certain safeguards uh, from public uh, health, uh, like closing early for nightclubs, or if it's a hospital or a medical uh, facility or a dental office, and they have to wear uh, the personal safety equipment um, and, and require masks to be worn, like you said, in public areas, is the, the basic requirement is that employers have to have a safe work environment for their employees and for their clients. And if you fail to have that, um, and say there is an outbreak within your employment situation, then there could be a complaint to WorkSafe for violation of the Occupational Health and Safety Code. So it's not COVID specific, it's generally just a safe environment, uh, but th that safe environment, the, the, the employer has those duties to set up the, those safe procedures. And then employers conversely, or employees, if they, if they feel that the environment is not safe, even if there hasn't been an outbreak or, or exposure or risk, they could still make a complaint that they, they to work safe to say, look, I don't think that the, my employer is doing enough. I don't feel safe or protected. And then WorkSafe would do an investigation and, and either implement a policy or make recommendations in that respect. So they, an employee, that was my next question. So if an employee feels unsafe or feels the environment, you know, they're, they're afraid of contracting COVID-19, they still have to go to work, but they can file a complaint. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the, a weird uh, situation because if they feel that it's unsafe, they can file the complaint, but they would still have to be at work pending review by WorkSafe. And WorkSafe is very busy. And although they're, they're quite efficient in, in investigating complaints, there's still going to be a time lag associated with it. So uh, even if you are concerned, you're going to still subject it to it. The other alternative, if, if the environment is so, if you feel it's so unsafe, and you can't wait for WorkSafe, you could assert that you've been constructively dismissed. So essentially, the employer's created a situation where it's you're unable to do your job anymore, and you would take the position that they've terminated your employment because of that, but that creates a whole bunch of legal arguments that right, right. probably isn't a safe bet on, on most for most employees to make that assertion. Right. So what, what, if, what if there's like, if part of your job is to travel, like can you refuse to travel because you're you're scared, like, is, is that even, like, what would they do? Yeah, I think, again, it would come down to the safety risk. And if you yeah. feel that the exposure is too great, particularly if you're, like, immunocompromised. Right. And, and, the, and the regular safeguards that public health is putting in place or the, the governments are putting in place, 
uh, aren't good enough for you, then you could tell your employer, look, I don't feel safe. And then that would trigger either a human rights complaint or a work safe complaint. But to avoid the complaint, the, the, the employer might just create an accommodation. Well, we can set up a way you could do, instead of traveling to, to X, Y, and Z, we'll set up Zoom meetings or we'll set up group meetings yeah. or something of that nature. So as long as it's a reasonable accommodation that the person's requesting, I would encourage employers to explore those options rather than just say terminate the person or force them to do something that is potentially risky for them. Right. So what if um, an employee actually contracts COVID-19, but you're not sure if it happened at work or not, but what's the employer's obligation? Do they have to report it somewhere? Like, what, what, does, what does employer have to do at that time? You know, if I think if, uh, and I, this is more of an opinion as a, as a lawyer, as opposed to, uh, I, I would say that if you've got an employee that has uh, contracted COVID, they you, obviously they've gone and be tested and public health would be aware of it. Yeah. And the way that it seems to be is that public health has, set up these parameters where they can track people and, 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 and see where they've been. So I don't know if the onus would necessarily shift to the employer because public health would already know about it once the test right. was completed. Right. Uh, and then they would implement their procedures. If you've got sick employees and you don't know if they uh, have COVID or if it's a seasonal flu or if it's just a cold, um, I would always encourage the employer to err on the side of caution and encouraging the person to work from home if they're they're still medically able to or if they're quite sick obviously go home because you don't want to have that risk of exposure and and covid obviously is quite different than than the seasonal flu but because of the the the, the mortality factor but if somebody's got the flu and we don't know if it's covid they're encouraged to contact public health get tested if the if they fit the criteria of being tested and if they are tested positive Obviously, don't come back to work for that prescribed period. If they're uh, if they're waiting for the results, I would say encourage them to stay home and self isolate during that period, but follow public health guidelines. So, what what if? Uh, and I know, and we always talk about extremes, right? But what if an employer can employer request medical information from an employee if they're saying um, no? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I, again, it's another lawyer answer because it, it depends. I mean, <laughs> we operate in the gray. If an employee is is ill and uh, it needs to be off for an extended period of time, so more than like the two week self isolation period that's recommended, um, the, the 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 changes to the Employment Standards Act didn't require any medical evidence to be provided to get like employment insurance benefits or anything of that nature. They changed that dynamic. So it kind of goes in, in sync that an employer can't then in turn request it if the government's not requesting it. That being said, though, if an employee is say chronically ill and is getting iller and iller and can't, there's a, uh, is going to be off work for a long, long period of time, then the employer is permitted to ask for a doctor's note. Most doctor's notes are very generic. They just say so-and-so is not able to work for medical reasons until whatever date. Um, if it's an issue regarding uh, accommodation, so whether or not that person can return to work or on modified duties or work from home, uh, then the employer is entitled to ask for further detailed medical information specific to uh, them providing that accommodation so the person can continue to work as opposed to just being off on a leave. So what if I show up to the office and I'm showing symptoms of COVID, can the employer ask me to go home? And if they do, 
am I required to pay the employee at that time? Um, I, again, I would always err on the side of caution. So if an employee came in and was, was showing any symptoms, whether it's flu, cold, yeah. or symptoms of COVID with a fever, uh, most employers seem to have a policy in place that if you are exhibiting those symptoms, you are to go home. Um, if the if it comes down to an issue that the employee says, look, I can't go home, I can't afford to go home because I can't lose the money I've used all my sick days, then I would say from an employer perspective, you're better off to send them home with pay, get them to contact public health to find out if they need to have the COVID test, if they meet that criteria, but keep them getting paid because otherwise you're risking all of your other employees because one person can't afford to take the time off and, and really it comes down to an economic standpoint but you're now risking your the safety of all your other employees and your customers by allowing somebody to come in. You're better off to give them their wage for that period that they're gonna be absent, uh, even if they're not entitled to that sick leave. Can you actually, because I know a lot of companies aren't, aren't allowing um, their staff at all into their buildings, but can they require, can an employer require the employee to just work from home? Like, can you just say, hey, we're, we're, just, we're not opening the office anymore, you gotta work from home? It, it would come down to a, it would be a change of the employment relationship, which could lead to an argument that they've been constructively dismissed. I know in our office, there was a number of employees when, when COVID first came out, there was only about a handful of people working and everyone else was required to work from home. And they made, the, made it facilitated that everyone could do that from home. But some people don't like working from home. Right. Some people feel very isolated. They feel yeah. alone if they're single and they're living in, a, in, a, in an apartment. There's not the space. Um, so a lot of people wanted to come back. So in the circumstance of an employer says, look, we're, we're not going to have anyone in the office. Everyone's going to work remote. That's really a change in the employment relationship that the employer or the employee didn't sign up for. So if the, if the employer unilaterally changes a, a term of the employment, um, the employee could say, no, that's constructive dismissal. You've technically fired me. You have to give me a severance package. And there's a, again, there's a lot of legal arguments in yeah. there, uh, and there's a lot of risk for the employee to assert that position, but that's kind of the option. Interesting. Interesting times we live in. I'm gonna, I, I, I warned you we were going to do this. We're going to take a, like a quick step away from, from COVID talk, and we'll come back and finish up. But um, I'm doing a segment. I love doing this segment where we're going to learn a little bit more about you. This is the okay. third time we're going to learn a bit more about Scott. So this is our rapid fire questions, and uh, they're not legal related at all. Okay. Well, maybe they are, but we'll see. Um, what was your very first job? I worked at the, the Bay Department Store. Um, I started in the camera department, but then they shifted me to uh, undercover security. So I walked oh around in plain clothes and I caught shoplifters, essentially. Where was that? That was in Calgary. So I was, uh, I started at the Bay when I was about 14 and I started, I worked in the, the camera department and then about a six months to a year after that, they put me into to security. And I think because I was young and they just yeah. thought I, I would look like one of the thieves probably more than anything. <laughs> so. um, uh, have you met, have you ever met anyone famous? I, oh, that's a good question. I've, I've met Sybil Shepherd. I don't think she's famous anymore, but she, she was famous at one point. Yeah. I was actually in a movie. I was an extra in a movie with Sybil Shepherd. And oh, once... Really? Uh, I finished law school in, in Los Angeles, and once I walked backwards into Mike Tyson, and he, he scared scared me to death. <laughs> he, was very, he was very, very intimidating. He's not very tall, but he's very, very intimidating. He's very thick, yeah. He is, yeah. 
That's hilarious. Um, are you a reader? Are you reading anything right now? No, I, I haven't had time to read anything in a long time. <laughs> if you could, is there a genre that you like to pick up? You know, I, 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 I'm a big fan of like the Jason Bourne books. Yeah. Uh, I think the last book I read was The Martian, which might be dating myself a little, but that was probably the last book I read. <laughs> if you had to put on some music while you work, what do you put on? What's, what's, what's... I, I always have Spotify playing and it's usually a mix of um, uh, songs from the 80s or the Pixies or uh, Coldplay. <laughs> That's probably the, the genres I'm hitting. Um, is there anyone that as you went through your career that you can look up to that you really admire that you looked up to that was sort of a mentor for you? Um, I spent a lot of time, when it, my, the, the, the big part of my legal career was in Toronto when I finished law school and um, there was a couple of, of people that I eventually became partners with in Toronto, um, Mark Bloomberg and, he, and his father Henry Bloomberg were kind of my my go-to mentors when I was a young lawyer. So definitely those two. Awesome. Um, any favorite quotes? Do, 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 do you walk around saying something? They're like, oh, that's Scott. Uh, no, I don't know. My family says I have eight stories and I I'm on a constant loop of those eight stories. <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't know what it, what those eight are because I, I figure I'm very dynamic and have, have a whole plethora of information to tell everybody. But yeah, I think of a particular quote, but if any of them were here, they would tell you for sure there's probably a few Scott-isms there. <laughs> um, what was the first big ticket item you bought with your own money? Oh, uh, I bought a 1979 Volkswagen Rabbit, which, yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything that you have and you know, let's, we don't know where, you know, this pandemic is going to go, but is there anything that you want to accomplish next year that you haven't done before, either personal or business side? Is there anything sort of on the list for 2021? That's a good question. It's kind of ever evolving. I, I um, we, we were doing a bunch of um, employment law seminars and we did them live pre-COVID and we'd have people come and they'd have a lunchtime seminar. Uh, one, one goal that we've kind of implemented, it kind of goes back to the legal realm, but we're, we're, we're now recording them and we're going to create a, like a virtual website so people can basically get the, the courses on demand without having to subject themselves to come to our office and with the old social distancing. So that, that's kind of on the short-term goal agenda. It's uh, good for you guys. Yeah, from, from a personal perspective, I don't know yet. <laughs> See how things play out. What's your favorite place you've ever visited? Um, you know, I, I, I really like uh, California. Um, I, I, I really like San Francisco as a city, uh, just kind of wandering around and exploring. Um, I, I, New Orleans, I really like, and New York. Um, uh, but uh, probably San Francisco is probably one of the, the, my favorite cities to visit. Last question. Um, what's your go-to breakfast? Go-to breakfast. You know, every day I eat the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, basically it's a Denver on omelet, but I'm not very good at making omelets, so it usually ends up being a bunch of scrambled eggs. With scrambled eggs, those, yeah, <laughs> with all those ingredients. In it. yeah. uh, it's funny because I, I, I've asked this question now to probably a half dozen people, and everybody says, "Well, they have the same breakfast every morning." Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm peanut butter and toast guys. So. Oh yeah, it was too hard to think of something creative in the morning. So if it's if you've got the go-to, it's just it's easier to yeah. do. <laughs> well, thank you for doing that. Let's switch back for a couple of last uh, few questions and uh, we'll wrap up. So this is um, 
probably again I, I, I your your answer is going to be i'm sure uh well, what do you say lawyers speak but yeah. if an, an employee um contracts COVID 19 at work can they sue their employer um no <laughs> um, and again, it's a depends question, but technically, um, no. What happened when COVID came out uh, and the BC government implemented the, the emergency protocols, uh, there's a provision in that to say, provided the employer does everything they're required to do to create that safe work environment and hasn't breached any like social distancing or mask requirements or forcing the people to work in dangerous conditions, then the employer is protected from being sued by its, an employee that gets COVID. Um, on the flip side of that is if they didn't do any of those safeguard measures and the employee gets sick, then the employee could sue. I think it's going to be where it will be difficult. And I've had discussion of, you know, some kids are back in sports and how will they track where it actually occurred? Yeah, and that's something that, yeah. that, that struck me with kids going back to school because they're they're saying nobody can go to like restaurants and, and be in large groups, but then they can plunk 30 kids into a room with, with one another and now the bubble has expanded. Or sports, because I know there's hockey and soccer, like the, some of the clubs have started playing. We're not playing, practicing, they're not playing. Yeah. For as far as I know. But so if, if, you, if you do uh, get... COVID, you know, how do you know where you got it from? How are they going to trace exactly where it would have come from? So I guess yeah. the argument saying, well, how do you prove where it came from, right? So Yeah, and I think that's going to create a, a big hassle. Yeah. I think if there is a second wave or if we're in the second wave in tracking it down. Yeah. I know I recently went on a, a short little weekend trip to um, Oliver and the Soyuz and every place we went into, whether it was a winery or a restaurant, they asked like uh, our name, our phone number. And, and so in the event that there was an outbreak that we would be contacted at least. So again, if, if it's a sports group, hopefully everybody knows who each other is and they can track it that way. But I think as the bubbles expand, whether it's through school or sports or extra, extracurricular activities, there is gonna be a, a much bigger problem tracking all of that. Interesting. Um, can in a or you're taking employees temperature like can can they actually legally do that yes um and again it would be come down to that safeguard as long as it's not an obtrusive test i think um requiring a covid test i don't know if you've had to have one uh, they're not pleasant <laughs> i had to have one in march and and they, they stick a giant q-tip right. down your nose and it's not pleasant um and it's a little more obtrusive than than a temperature they they've got the digital thermometers you can just point it at people and it takes a reading um I don't, and that comes down to um, privacy rights and human rights and all of those components. But again, creating a safe work environment, the employer would be able to say, look, we're gonna test everybody as they come in. If you've got a temperature, you're going home. If you don't have a temperature, you can stay at work. Uh, I know there's commercials on TV at the moment, like Amazon, they're testing all the employees. That's perfectly acceptable because it's not an obtrusive uh, requirement. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when they went to the dentist, they have this little gun that they point at you. And yeah. <laughs> pretty cool, the technology where it's come from. And I know there's infrared cameras that take people's temperature as you walk through. And right. Yeah. Interesting. So a lot of change for sure. I think we're going to have to get you back on in, in another, you know, 60 days to kind of talk about again what's changed. Because, But if anyone's listening or wanting to learn more, or even some specific questions, because I know that nothing fits in a box like everything is so different like what's the best way for someone to get a hold of you or the firm or what do you what do you recommend um probably our website is the best and it's uh, just 
uh, dopesheriff.com and it's spelled funny. So it's over my shoulder there. If yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, or they, they can call me. Um, my, my direct line is uh, 250-9792. Hang on, I'll have to check. Uh, uh, two five two seven. Um, and, but really, like you said, it is it's a very kind of fluctuating dynamic sort of situation. And we try to hedge people and put them into that box that helps. But it, sometimes it's a fluid thing. We have to um, figure out how to best put people in sure. existing parameters. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you again for coming on. We'll have to get you for the fourth time. It's kind of like Saturday Night Live when the person has to host like 50 times. They get a right. So, yeah. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> good. <laughs> I want to get you back and thank you for the insight because I know, like I said, it's such a moving target. There's a lot of questions, unfortunately, but uh, um, I think people know that there, you know, if there's any anything around employment law that they could reach out to Bill Sheriff and, and yourself and, and your team, and really, you, I know you guys could help them at least answer the questions or or steer yeah. the direction. So yeah, absolutely. Well, thank thank you. you so much for joining today. Um, everyone to tune in. Thank you for joining us and have a great day. And thank you for tuning in to Business Matters. Thanks, Scott. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Matters with host Rob Capello. If you're interested in being on the show, reach out to us and join the conversation. 